Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hey there, Steve here from the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast, the podcast that brings nerd culture and pop culture together in the 21st century. With my brother Joe, we sit down and talk to the gurus of your favorite nerdy fandoms. You've got the questions, we've got the answers. So join us every week on the DNA podcast, where we know it's not just a hobby, it's hereditary. Welcome everybody to today's episode. Tonight we are going to be diving even deeper into the latest book from Wizards of the Coast, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. So last episode we talked a lot about the player-centric pieces of the Ravenloft book. We talked a lot about the introduction and a lot about chapter one, uh, getting into how to build characters uh, that are in Ravenloft or survive in the in the Ravenloft uh, plane and everything like that. Tonight we're going to be talking a lot about the game master centric pieces. Specifically, we're dealing with chapters two, uh, which is the one about creating domains of dread, and then chapter four, which is all about crafting horror adventures. So before we get into that, we do have a couple of announcements as uh, as we are wont to do later in the episode uh, that uh, we think that you guys are all going to be interested in, specifically around uh, domains and storyteller type things. So please make sure you are uh, you're tuning in at the end of the episode. Spoiler alert. If you were ever thinking about becoming a Patreon supporter of the show, now would be a good time. So let's go ahead and dive in here. So. Liwanika, we'll start with you. So chapter two, Creating Domains of Dread. Yeah, this chapter was brilliant. It was amazing for getting the creative juices flowing like a river of blood. Yeah, it was a little creepy. But that's what this book is about, so I figured I'd throw that in. I got to tell you, this book, and specifically this part, was, uh, we, and we mentioned it in the last episode, but I'm going to say it again. We were looking for this type of thing in the previous book, Candlekeep. We needed tools and techniques as to how to build a horror game, how to build a horror adventure, 
or even a scene or a scenario. And it starts with the villain. If you think back to all the great horror franchises, that iconic villain, whether it be Jason Voorhees, Leatherface, Hannibal Lecter, Freddy Krueger, Saw, to get a little bit more modern. It is all about the villain. If your villain is amazing, if he is evocative, your franchise has wheels and goes places. If not, you get Leprechaun. And with all due respect to Warwick Davis, not his best film. And like Jeepers Creepers had one or two movies, but it wasn't all that. Even right? if you think Cabin in the Woods, right? Cabin in the Woods, same kind of thing. Like it's all about the tropes and everything like that, but they all boil down to the bad guys, right? And there's a quote in this chapter that I think sums this up perfectly. And it's a very it's a it's a really straightforward quote, but it's every monster is a story. And I thought that that was the one thing that stood out for me about this about this chapter is that it really laid out that that's the crux of what makes Ravenloft Ravenloft is that it's all about the things that go bump in the night. It's all about the baddies. It's all about how do your heroes contend with a very environment that wants to see them turned evil dead i mean it's almost like playing cthulhu like it's like you know it's like ravenloft is all about getting inside your characters and your players heads more than anything else which is why it it is probably one of the most dynamic dungeons and dragons settings but also one of the ones that and we'll get into this when we get into the how to build how to run a horror adventure chapter later but it's also one of those things that running a horror game requires very specific setting very specific players and very specific tone. And this is the chapter that's trying to lay out how to do that. And providing a lot of great insight and theory and concept to selecting those players or having discussions to get the right tone. Yep. Look, there are great horror-esque movies that end up more as adventure drama, right? And there are other ones that end up as more dramatic turns. And then there's some that end up straight into the horror aspect. And and delving on some of the same themes, I would think of uh, The Omen. I would think of The Exorcist and compare that to uh, the Schwarzenegger film. And I cannot remember the name off the top of my head. Uh, but he did a film where the devil was coming up and having Scion or whatever. And it dealt with some of those same themes. But it was done in three very different ways because the tone had to be different. So as storytellers, you may have a story in mind, but utilize this chapter and the conversation mechanisms in your session zero to really narrow in and zone in on what's the tone that's going to fit the players at the table. All right, so let's dive into the meat and potatoes that makes up chapter two. So we're going to start with there today. Um, and the first bit that chapter two gets into is it, it starts with the core of the of what defines a Ravenloft domain, and it's the creation of a Dark Lord itself. And I thought that the amount of detail that it went into in this subchapter was fabulous because it covered all the really important things. It covered 
why are they the Dark Lord? Where did they come from? What were their origins? What are their flaws? How are they corrupted? How did they transform into what they are? And we have talked about this before, about how whenever we're looking for inspiration in a campaign book like this, what we want to see is we want to see role tables or lists of options or things that we can go through and say, this is what I like and this is what I don't like and this is what I'm going to use. Um, and this chapter gives it to us in in spades. I loved it. Absolutely. These were great questions. And oddly, they're not far off of questions people should think about when they're building any character, really. But specific to the setting and what they're looking for is uh, creating a Dark Lord, they must be answered. Whatever the answer is, they don't give you even options for these questions. But what they're saying is, as a storyteller, creating this Dark Lord, creating this realm, answer these questions. Because this is going to help define what we discuss later in the in, in, later in, in this episode or in our next episode. When you're building a your own domain, you're going to need to know your Dark Lord first. This is step one. Get to know your Dark Lord. And it makes perfect sense. I mean, that's part of the reason why I think all three of us are getting so into the concept of Ravenloft. We were talking about a little bit ago in the introduction. And we were talking about how story-driven everything is. And in Ravenloft, it has to be because you're trying to create a domain of dread, which is a prison designed 100% to contain and torment a Dark Lord. If the domain's designed to run the Dark Lord, well, what do you think's got to come first? So you've got to put the time into that first because that's what your whole domain is centered and designed around. There's no way to figure out how you want to set up the rest of the ecology if you haven't figured that out yet. You know, if you don't know who who the bad guy is, you have no way to design his prison. And it does do a great job of taking you through that process and giving you lots of creative inspiration and lots of details to make sure that you don't forget little twists and things like that. So I'm really looking forward to creating a Dark Lord. I think it could be a lot of fun. I think between the three of us, we could come up with some uh, pretty sick and twisted little bastards to run uh, an evil domain place to torment folk. Yeah, I've got a few ideas, but... Not only that, what interesting things are part of a Dark Lord that you could add to your regular villains, even if they're not a Dark Lord? These same questions work for any big, bad, evil guy. If you've got a campaign-ending evil guy, answer these questions, or answer some, if not most, but certainly more than one or two. There's a list of questions here that are, I'm not going to read them all because I want everybody to get out to their local game store and get it. Every enemy doesn't need this. Your standard goblin private in a massive army doesn't need to have these questions answered the sergeant may not the commander may not the general i bet you should answer a couple of them but the ruler that is sending this army to attack the innocents answer these questions and when your characters get a bite of that lore or get into that role-playing encounter with that guy that evil leader that big bad evil person, that's going to make a huge difference in the campaign. That's what's going to make that enemy legendary. You want to build an enemy that your players will remember forever and talk about 30 years after? Answer these questions and you're going to get there. This is half the work is just these first set of questions. 
on top of the questions, I thought that the the fatal flaws and the monsters transformation lists were fabulous. Really, um, I mean, like even just some of the monsters transformations are so deliciously disgusting. Um, like the the uh, the one where um, your big bad evil guy um, his. Uh, their eyes extend from their skull as if on like the um uh was well, like a, the the tentacles from a slug mm-hmm. like you know like those are the kind of things that you want to talk about making a memorable character you've got to give them some sort of a trait that people can latch on to like the prisoner right when he's you know they they's only got one arm you know all the all that sort of stuff like there's the big bad guy has got a characteristic that is unique and marks him as other in some level and, brings him to um, life. and makes makes him the bad guy brings him to life yeah exactly two you know? left thumbs you know great literature is littered with things that mark your bad guys i think back to classic literature three musketeers you had rochefort who had his eye patch in most incarnations or the lady de winter who had the scar that she had to cover up those were specific the florida lee on her shoulder those were designed so you always remember them. If you think back to classic literature, not just bad guys, but even antagonists, Long John Silver and his peg leg, there are so many things. Picture of Dorian Gray, where you know Dorian Gray just never ages. He's got this, this otherworldly quality about him because he never seems to age, and then you find out why. One of my favorite novels of all time, one of my favorite novelists is a novelist by the name of Jeffrey Ford, and I've talked about his books before, but another one of his books that I absolutely love is a portrait called The Portrait of Mrs. Charbuquet, and the whole point of the story is that an artist is hired to paint a portrait of a patron and the rules that he has to follow are that he can paint whatever he wants to paint he can ask her whatever he wants to ask her but he can't look at her that lays out the the plot of the book as he starts diving into her background and who she is and what she has done uh, in her life so fantastic that by the way it sounds like a great Set piece for a Ravenloft adventure, by the way. I, yeah, that, that. not no. Um, so, so the other part of the Ravenloft coin is the actual domain itself, and the domain itself very much extends from the way that you lay out the Dark Lord. So, again, this this subchapter fantastic with the detail that it goes into. Storytellers, if you're out there trying to figure out how to make a world for your players to play in. This is a chapter that you need to read very, very carefully, even if you're not planning a Ravenloft campaign. So there's a lot of slant in here towards Ravenloft, towards a horrific campaign. But when you look at things about how to design the cultural specifics of the domain, when you start looking at the characteristics, now it's talking here about how everybody that lives within the domain has this sense of perpetual torment attached to them, but even looking at kind of the way that they dive into how to build that sort of stuff, it applies really to any 
subculture within the world that you're that you're trying to go ahead and build you know asking questions like what does the culture fear what does the culture value how does the culture treat outsiders like these are the questions that you know when when we did our drinking and dragons one shots like the little mountain village that i created these were the types of things that i was thinking about when i was crafting that village because that was the jar that the episode was going to happen within and so i wanted to make sure that the village had a unique cultural identity so again, just another fabulous subchapter. No, absolutely. There's so much meat on both of the bones in this chapter, part one and part two for storytellers out there to just really use it to help you. Even if you're not playing Ravenloft, there's so much detail and ideas and inspiration you could get from this to help flesh out the rest of the things that you're doing, be it villains or honestly, even heroes, just kind of reverse some of the questions. But overall, in terms of helping you focus in to get the domains of dread down, it's superb. I mean, even like right from the beginning. And don't get me wrong, you could start with a setting. Like, say, you know, you want to do a gothic vampire kind of setting. You can start with that and start and go from there. Obviously, very tropey. But if you started with the Dark Lord, once you've got him down, the very first part of it in the Dark Lord shadows, I mean, it's going to ask you to go into the dark side and really think about the things that the dark lord did to attract the dark power's attention in terms of how to make his and to give you ideas on how to make the domain reflect that because that's what he's supposed to be being tortured about is these horrible acts that he committed it's got questions about you know like when you're talking about this horrible event or crime like what did this act sound like from a distance or to someone in the next room yeah how are they breathing who else was present or who is there I mean, this has a list of questions. And again, they're questions. You don't have to answer all of them. How does it smell? But two or three of them is very evocative. If you're trying to set a horror scene, pick senses. Lean into senses beyond sight. Sight is fairly easy. Do you want somebody to be truly horrified in general? Give them the sound of the crime. The gnashing teeth. The breaking bone. The dripping saliva. The gurgling as the victim expires. <laughs> but these are the types of things that at the table, virtual or otherwise, that if you can lean into these things, that will carry a lot of weight. That's those are the things that players will remember. And if if this is the the original crime that caused the the dreadlord to end up here, when that sound repeats itself, if you were evocative when it was first mentioned to the players, whenever that was, the next time they hear that sound, watch what they do. See who reaches for their d20s. See who starts looking at their spell list. Or double-checking whether or not they have that heal potion right with them. The questions players ask in those moments will tell you how close to the mark you hit or if you hit it spot on. Yeah, even just getting your players to shift in their seats. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, it, it's it's sometimes it's hard to judge whether a character is uncomfortable, but it's pretty easy to determine whether or not you're getting to a player or not. And so, you know, that's, that's, definitely, uh, uh, that's definitely an option. The last bit of this chapter uh, is, I think, the strongest part of this chapter, and it's it is the bit that gets into to several different kinds of horror stories that you can tell, and it goes into detail about how 
each one can translate itself to its game. So it deals with, uh, uh, it, it kind of lays them out into various different types. So it's got body horror, cosmic horror, which again is kind of more like your Cthulhu, uh, dark fantasy, which are kind of like your, your vampire werewolf stories, uh, folk horror, um, which again are kind of like your Stephen King type stories with like, you know, the creepy little town that nobody goes to, um, your ghost stories, self-explanatory there gothic horror which again are kind of like your high victorian fantasy type stories um and then it, it goes into uh into smaller detail about uh, a, a handful of others but what these sections here are absolutely fabulous for helping you get specific about the type of stories that you want to run these are they are full of roll tables detailing villains, the torments, the setting, adventure sites, specific plot points for each of these different types of big overarching plots. These roll tables are complete. They are versatile. They are compiled fantastically. I absolutely loved it. I'm. These are going to find their way into my storytelling pre-process uh, immediately, in fact. I mean, that's I've already started using some of these these pieces, crafting sessions that I, I have. I actually have things upcoming that are going to greatly involve that which I read within these pages. Wow, so good. And as Josh mentioned, it doesn't have to be exclusively for Ravenloft. If you just wanted to add a horror piece or a scary session to your game obviously make sure you uh check in with your players and limits and that but pick one of these that works for your game you want to tell a ghost story within like your existing campaign because ghosts are, are ghosts are things in Faerun. ghosts are things in most DD worlds but if you want to tell a really good ghost story that's a little bit more than there's a ghost I have to hit it with a silver wep uh, a silver weapon or whatever, and it's only a CR2. Do you really want to do something cool with your ghost and make it stand out other than Creature of the Week from the Monster Manual? Go to the ghost story section here, roll on this table, get do some stuff, fit this in. Uh, this this can fit into your existing game without making your whole campaign a horror campaign but it can make a horror episode. And, you know, uh, modern television is uh, and television in general is littered with shows that have one or two horror episodes, even if the whole series is not a horror series. Um, you know, uh, everything from The Greatest American Hero had two horror episodes uh, there that were fantastic. One of them, I, when I was a kid, scared me to death. But, uh, you know, uh, with a, with, and it was a cosmic horror episode, right? Um, they did an aliens thing. Uh, so, I mean, there are so many neat ways to filter in this stuff into your campaign to make your campaign that much better. I had a lot of fun with this section too. Um, but for me, a lot of it was just, I mean, I'm kind of into horror, but I've never been like a giant horror fan. You know, there's specific things I like, specific tropes that I'm into, but some of them I just wasn't that familiar with. So being able to explore a little bit more about cosmic horror, which I'm still not a fan of, even though I've explored a little bit more now, but I didn't really get it very much before, but being able to go through and see and then get ideas. Cause 
that's the thing about roll tables. You know, they're not just roll and see what you get. They're also inspiration. You may not actually choose anything on it, but after reading, you know, about eight different types of torments that could be going on for the Dark Lord and cosmic horrors that might give you some ideas. It might remind you of, oh, that's kind of like that movie that one time that takes you to another place. Um, so, yeah, the way that they broke down each individual genre for me was really educational. And I really enjoyed it, not just uh, not just from a D&D perspective, but from a storytelling content creating writer perspective, too. Um, I just really enjoyed the way that I could also then look at how they could layer because some of them do overlap a little bit. You know, dark fantasy and gothic get really close. Folk horror fits into those just like ghost stories do really easy as well. Um, so it, it all depends on what you're trying to build. And this really helps you figure out, you know, if you want to take, say, a player group who really likes dark fantasy, but you got a couple of them that are kind of into ghost stories and one of them that really likes folk horror. You can go through this and mix and match and kind of custom build and follow it through. Funny enough, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. Yeah, there's nothing to say that a domain of dread has to be just one of these things. Bear in mind that your domain of dread is a domain. There are multiple types of adventures that can happen within. As long as they all fit the overall theme of tormenting that dark lord, it can happen in multiple ways. Maybe there's a ghost story or a set of ghost stories based on victims of the Dark Lord, but maybe there's monsters uh, in the Frankenstein monster type genre because of something that he did or what, the experiment he was trying. Perhaps there's a slew of zombies that are marauding through the lands every so often because to torment him where he loses his people because he abandoned his post to go do some evil thing and when he returned home everybody was killed and dead and this is the way the land torments him you know there's different ways to do it and and your party being stuck here can experience all of that yeah i mean think about think about this for just a second so we talk a lot on our side quests about inspiration that comes to our table from outside of Dungeons and Dragons proper, right? Think about the episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where they are caught in that causality time loop caused by the Enterprise exploding, right? And finally they start piecing together uh, because Data has little pieces of memory that don't get wiped every time and he starts to realize that they're in a temporal repeat, right? That sort of thing in the right lens can be the basis of a demiplane of dread. I'm not sure who exactly the dreadlord, probably Data actually in that case would be the dreadlord because he's the one who is tortured most by what is going on because he starts to realize what's going on and then forget, as soon as he remembers, he forgets again, right? But if you think about that kind like those kind of things, that, that kind of, that, like, like the movie Groundhog Day, right? It's like, yeah. You know, we talked last time about how the Truman Show is a, is a domain of dread, right? And how Truman and how frightening it is that Truman figures out that it's a domain and leaves it, gets powerful enough to leave his own domain uh, by the end of it, right? So lots of fabulous options for uh, for all these sorts of things, and and but they can be multiple things. Yeah, I don't think of Truman as a, as the uh, dreadlord. I think of Truman as the player character. I think of the director as the dreadlord because he's doing everything he can to keep this show together. 
he's the one doing all the evil acts, tricking somebody into making Truman believe that they're in love with him, even though it's just a job for them. Yeah, but the entire world revolves around Truman. You're correct, but it revolves around Truman at the behest of the director. I see Lee's point. Truman is one of the citizens, so he's the star. So it does make it harder. He's the star, but I see where you're coming from, Lee. Like the director's evil act was this whole concept of taking a person and making them a non-person like this from birth. And that's what his domain was designed around. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get where you're coming from, but it's still weird. <laughs> it's because it's weird the and it's out there. Well, it is. But he'd be soulless, so but it doesn't matter. But in the concept of a D&D game, the Dreadlord is not a player character, even though the Dreadlord is quote unquote the star. That's what. Let us say that again. The Dreadlord is not a player character, right? And that's Ever. and that's why I think the Dreadlord becomes a director because Truman has agency throughout. That is more of a player character aspect. Yeah, he's having to figure it out. He's stuck in a psychological horror, right? That's also, and yeah. that's where I come at it from. But we digress a little bit. I think it fits because you could do other elements of that or some. Some lean into that in some ways. Think of an Eberron world where they have might have some kind of media, uh, where or some kind of plays and stuff. So let's let's close out chapter two for just a second here. Everybody out there, uh, you all know that uh, that we here have gotten into the content creation game, and so this is going to bring us to our first big announcement for this episode. Um, Glenn, why don't you talk about the survey that you're putting together and what we're hoping to do uh, with that? So yeah, no, I'm really excited. So the way I was talking about the genres of horror just a few minutes ago um, and how you could blend them if you needed to, depending on your audience, uh, we had got to thinking that it would be fun to create some domains of dread. We're eventually hoping to get into world building. So this is kind of like practice, right? They're smaller. And between the three of us, we think we can come up with some interesting stuff. But we want to design them for you. So I'm working on a survey based off of the exact stuff that the book for Ravenloft talks about, right? in Van Richten's Guide, uh, where it's talking about the questions to ask your players beforehand in terms of any specific fears or phobias that are too severe that should be avoided or ones that you're really into, you know, kind of uh, different tropes and uh, love it. It's okay in no way kind of thing. And then some questions about your favorite genres of horror, maybe your top three horror movies, that kind of thing. Um, we want to put this survey out to our Patreons first, and then after we get all of their feedback, also then send it out through the Facebook page to the rest of our fans so that we can try to compile some data and build domains of dread based on what you guys like. And hopefully, you know, y'all will like them. We think it'll be a lot of fun. We're really excited. At least I'm really excited. Absolutely. I think that this will be fantastic. And, and again, you know, with the uh, with the NPCs and, and player characters that we created uh, for you the first time around, we're really looking forward to putting something together that uh, that you guys will be interested in. And we love getting fan feedback uh, to, as inspiration. Like we want you guys to help us build this so that, uh, you know, this is this will be as much as much your world as it is ours. So we really hope that uh, that you take part in the survey um, again. Uh, it's going to be going out to our Patreons first. So if you've been on the fence, if you're not sure how to how to support the show go to patreon.com slash tt journeys uh you can go ahead and see the levels to join it's very simple to go ahead and do it you can become a patreon for as little as one dollar a month um and it really helps us with the show let's dive into chapter four here chapter four 
uh, is again, it's another storyteller centric chapter. And we're skipping over chapter three for right now because chapter three is uh, about a hundred pages of detail of 20 something domains of dread. That's going to be our next episode. We are doing a third episode on the Ravenloft book. That episode is going to be almost entirely about all the domains of dread. Chapter three is amazing. It is excellent. We're not going to get into it tonight. We're going to throw some creatures from the domains of dread in there too. They're creepy and gross and awesome. The creatures are awesome. Absolutely. And denizens of the, of the plains. Well, that'll all be in the next episode. So be, be watching for that. Yeah. Yeah. But for now we're going to move on to, to chapter four and we're going to talk about horror adventures. Yeah, so Horror Adventures, I really liked this chapter. It was a little bit smaller than some of the other ones, which I thought was actually kind of nice. It was a little bit more succinct uh, because I think that some of the other chapters were were pretty heavy. Um, but one thing that I liked was that it really... Luanika, you called this uh, in the last episode about how this book, more than a lot of other campaign books actually reads really well linearly. Like you start at the beginning and you want to just keep reading the next bit. Um, And so after all that detail about all those domains of dread, the first thing it does is almost bring you right back to where you were in chapter two. It reestablishes those points very specifically. How do you prepare your players for it? How do you prepare your world for it? Everything like that. It leans really, really heavily on the concept of a comprehensive session zero, which I think is really, really important for a Ravenloft campaign. Yeah, I'll actually take that one step further. And I first read, I thought it was odd that they would go from chapter two into the Domains of Dread and then into this chapter. I thought this chapter flowed after chapter two much better, but then I figured it out. This was set up on purpose. We're going to do the high level theory and give you step one, build your Dread Lord and then talk high level about the types of campaigns you can do then we're going to give you a bunch of examples he, bunch of lore here's, bunch of actionable yeah, intel it's actually yeah lore actionable intel it's basically examples of everything we've discussed now in chapter four we're going to give you the steps to get from step one so at the end you effectively will have a domain of dread uh uh, uh and a story as well as that domain. So I thought it flowed perfectly. And even though off the top of my head, I didn't think it would work. Once I looked at it a second time or a deeper dive, then it certainly did. This chapter, step-by-step, is as succinct as it is, is actually one of the best chapters to take whole cloth anywhere you go. It is all about take the steps, get the things done, make it happen. Uh, I love the emphasis on session zero and the continued callbacks to make sure you're checking, make sure you're checking, uh, you know, but it's always, it's all about know what you're doing, understand what you're doing, have that theory from the previous chapter. Here's how you enact it. And then it just goes step by step. And I thought in particular, the list of gameplay questions, specific things that you as a storyteller should be asking your players Again, specific questions is fabulous. How scary do you want the game to be? How difficult do you want the game to be? How So it's really, it's emphasizing that this is a collaborative experience between me as the storyteller and you as my players. And it's really making sure that we are all on the same page about all the parameters around the game, right? Yep. Yep. 
And that's really important, you know, and they've been making it more clear. We're definitely emphasizing the concept of a session zero and everyone here on this podcast thinks that they're critical for every game. They change form depending on what's going on, but you got to have some pre-conversation with your players, set expectations. And I love that they continue to reinforce that. And specifically, they give you additional pieces to use because you're running a horror game to make sure that you're not pushing somebody too far out of their comfort zone, to make sure you're not crossing a line that'll drive you away from, drive a player away from your table. Um, And that's really critical when you're getting into morally gray and horrific scenes, Um, making sure you know where people's hard lines and soft lines are. But more than that, this chapter gave us exactly what we were asking for in Candle Keep. It it does 100% give you the toolkit for how to run it. From that session zero, which it it definitely highlights right there in the beginning section of it for preparing for horror. But the very next section for running horror games gives you advice on how to set the atmosphere and to pace it out. Good descriptions. Um, And then after it gives you, it still even goes further and gives us even more things that we can add to our toolkit with like curses, which is a whole new thing that's being added in there for something that you can do with samples of them and optional rules for fear and stress, haunted traps. And I love, I love the survivors, but yeah, we'll get to all of those a little bit one by one in a minute. That's just like my overall, the chapter was, the chapter was great. Very well organized. I think that the flow of the book made sense too, because it's also almost like they're trying to do it educationally. You know, they fed us, they spoon fed us bits of this information at the beginning, then broke it down into chunks. And now they're referring back to it again to bring you back to make sure you check in with your players, make sure you keep things safe. I wish whoever was behind the organization of this one, I don't know if it was a game design element, if it was an editorial decision or a combination thereof, but I wish. Whoever they were, keep that one. Yeah. I wish that the player's handbook and the DMG were done this way. I'm going to call out again that they should do a remaster on them. Yeah. Uh, if they get whoever the team was on this book to redo those two books, they've got a winner. I was going to say, I come from a family of educators. Uh, I, I have been involved in education. Uh, I obviously have, as a student, and I have been involved in education. As a parent, I am involved in my kids' education. And I can tell you that somebody who has an educational mind or an educator's mind put this book together. This was not, I'm going to throw a bunch of rules down so people can run a a Ravenloft campaign. It's not that simple. This was done to teach folks how to do this. And by teaching somebody how to run this and create this, they are also laying the framework for a book that is going to be enjoyable for players. We're not saying this is a DM-only book, because it's not. No, it's not. And we talked about most of the player stuff in the last episode. We'll refer you back to that. But I will say that if you don't have a good game to run in, who cares what kind of great character you build? This is what we wanted them to include in Candlekeep. We absolutely, absolutely we wanted this. Uh, and I'm glad that they have finally given it to us. I'm a little sad that they didn't put it in Candlekeep, but the books are so close together. 
fine. We can go ahead and and, and look past that, I think. And um, you could tweak this for mystery and suspense. You know, oh, you sure, just withdraw absolutely. some yeah. of the other stuff. So this could still 100% fit what Hor- we were looking horror, for them, too. Horror and mystery are rabbits pulled from the same hat, exactly. Right. But even just, even just, like, the craft of the writing that went into this chapter, like, even just, like, I, uh, one of the things that I flagged was under the concept of, of pacing, right? And how when you're doing pacing, one of the one of the key metrics is giving your players just enough hope that they keep trying to achieve the goal without right. making it so easy or so automatic that they think they're going to get in there and without going the other direction and railroading them, right? You know, it, it's or making them feel like they can never win, like no matter exactly. what they do, they're right. screwed, yeah. like they're in yeah. the Game of Thrones. Yeah, because then you get into a situation where it's the DM versus the players, and nobody wants to play in that game, like. Storytellers who think that their job at the table is to beat the players are playing a different game than I think a lot of us want to play. And that's, I think that that's a, that was very much an old school storyteller thought process, you know? They're probably playing a different game than their players want to play. Mm-hmm. That's right, exactly. And that gets back to the session zero. How much, you know, now maybe your players want a super dangerous game where they're going to be chewing through four or five characters, you know, in the course of, a, you know, to go ahead and try, keep trying to go ahead and, and find the, the party that can succeed or whatever like that. Maybe that is the game that they want, but that's why session zero is so important. And that's why continuing to go back to your players is so important. And that is why all of these things matter. I can tell you that it is the hardest thing I do as a storyteller to find that perfect spot where the players feel challenged, where they worry about the ability to succeed without feeling that there's no chance to succeed. Like, they recognize I have to not only play well, but I'm going to need a little bit of dice luck. Play well with a little bit of dice luck, and I am definitely going to succeed. You know, that it, that I'm always on that top end. If there's three spots, or three brackets, right? Success, failure, and in-between. I'm always on the upper edge of the in-between. But, failure is always an option. If I got bad enough rolls, no matter how smart I was, I could fail. So it's not a lock. I, I can't guarantee to succeed. That's a hard thing to do. It's an amazingly difficult thing to do. And it is so rewarding as a storyteller when you hear your players talk or they're in the chat after a session talking about, man, I thought we were really goners there. We barely got through it or whatever. It is exceptionally rewarding. It's like, I did my job if they thought there was a, they weren't, they might not make it, but they weren't dejected about feeling that they were never going to make it. Like that's when you know you've done your job well. And players, if you've got a situation where your, your storyteller was sweating, whether or not you were going to succeed too easily or he made it too difficult, you're doing your job. There's this, ebb and flow of the game where some elements of a of a encounter need to feel like I'm on top and all of a sudden, oh, things just took a turn. Oh, but I'm back on top and whoo, we we just got out of that one. You know, yep. uh yep. that there's an ebb and flow and I love anything that lends itself to teaching that or providing the techniques to get there. Yep. Yep. Okay, let's move on here then, because I think we we have we have hammered that pretty hard. Let's there's more in this chapter to get to other than this solid reinforcement of session zero and communication with your players. Glenn, you talked about it earlier. The horror toolkit and the first bit in the toolkit, 
the curses and man alive i loved this section the ability to have player or character actions having tangible supernatural consequences uh is so super valuable we've all been storytelling for a very long time we know how to Punish is the wrong word, but we know how to make characters aware when they have erred by, you know, defiling the sealed tomb of the ancient god of the island or, or you know, or, or you know, bartering with the mysterious merchant on the outskirts of town who wants to sell you a, a monkey's paw for three gold coins or, or is willing to give it away to you for free because, you know, he thinks that he, because the paw spoke to him and said that it wanted to be with you know those kinds of things that we as storytellers give to our players thinking they're never gonna do that they're they're not gonna open the t- who would open the tomb and then when they open the tomb how we go ahead and like so we're pretty experienced at bringing this to them but i yeah. loved how they laid this out a yeah, perfect example when you have a dagger encased in ice <clears throat> I was about to say the same thing. Wrapped when you're holding wrap. a dagger, it's yeah, it, physically withering your hand, and you won't let go of it. Yeah, well, let me tell you, it is beautiful <laughs> to have some things here. And what I really love about the laying curses part is it actually gives some documented and uh, rules for how to make it not as easy as oh, my paladin does remove curse, temporary relief. It gives you some specific rules option for creating this. Maybe it relieves this issue for a limited time, but it's not going to be permanent. Uh, it gives some great examples of specific curses as yeah. well as lays out how to build more curses. Man, yeah. this is examples, brilliant. Examples, examples, examples. I mean, Again. so brilliant. Fabulous. You know, uh, I, I would hope, and I I don't think it's going to be anytime soon, uh, and I say this because we still don't have sidekicks or patrons in, in D&D Beyond, but if D&D Beyond had the ability to create your own curses so you could put in these these elements into that, how brilliant would that be? I would love That'd to have awesome. a list of my own homebrew curses in there in addition to the ones that come out of this book. I, I think that some of the techniques and some of the options that are being created in these, in these uh, books that have come out between the end of 2020 and so far in 2021 just really need to truly be factored into digital tools. And I know it's a process. I get all the business side of that. But as a fan of these games, man, I want this to be accessible digitally for the for the sake of being able to utilize in these different ways. Look, the D&D Beyond community, this all shout out to them, is amazing at the things they homebrew. I love perusing the various homebrews. Could you imagine what would happen if the, we crowdsourced the curses and, and had it to choose from? I love you, and I love D&D Beyond. But I don't think you need to beg for this. I don't think you should have to. I think we should be able to demand it, because the reason I buy the book twice, the reason I pay the additional cost to buy it on D&D Beyond, is for them to digitize the tools. That's why I'm paying them. And... And I, I think that they've kind of they've done great things, but it kind of feels like they're they've been resting on their laurels because some of the stuff that's been coming out lately isn't getting translated into tools yeah. 
Like, I'm surprised that they don't have patrons yet. I mean, patrons were a Tasha's Cauldron of Everything thing. Exactly. So that's been out for... I mean, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything were... They, that was the first episodes that we did on this podcast. So that was over six months ago. Yeah. Right. And, and shout out to them. And I love all that they do. But, I mean, I don't think we should we should necessarily, you know, be flowery about it. Dudes, get on it. We want this stuff. And we're paying you for it. Make it happen. Yeah. You're talking to a team of three fans of this hobby supporters of your product and yeah. fans of your product who's players. So all the tables we run want these things. And when I have players ask me, why do I have to buy the book twice? When I see those questions on Reddit or anywhere else, why do I have to buy the book here and there and everywhere else? You're not. And I sell it that way for you. I tell them you're not buying the book again. Wizards of the coast put out one book. What you're paying for is what D and D beyond did to make that book available on their site. Right. So we tout that for you. Let's see you make it happen. Yeah. yeah. There are three great things so far. Thank you, by the way, for eventually getting us the Dragonborn UA. We're diverging a little bit here, but there's three great things that are missing on D&D Beyond as we sit here recording this, this episode. Patrons, sidekicks, curses. I'll give them that Ravenloft just came out. Yep. <laughs> but the other two, there's not a lot of excuse for by this point. All right, let's 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 move on. Let's talk about two great mechanics which they have introduced. Now, we have talked before about how much we love exhaustion as a mm-hmm. mechanic. They have now introduced two parallel mechanics that uh allow you as a storyteller to bring more ways to represent to your players that they are in a less than advantageous position uh we're talking about fears and stresses and like a specific stress score uh which you can use to go ahead and parallel exhaustion i i absolutely love it in fact had i at my last game session uh given what i was putting my characters through i used exhaustion as the mechanic because it was the closest thing that sort of it gave me a way to mechanically tell my players that they needed to alter their course and alter their actions. I think that I might have used stress score instead with perhaps different mechanical penalties than than exhaustion um, if I had already had this at my disposal when I was writing that. And when we talk about how do you make specific characters shine, specific character classes or specific character subclasses, for specific lineage choices shine. These two options are great ways. Now, if you want to make your paladin stand out for more than just smites, how about the fact that your party, as long as they're within the correct proximity, doesn't need to worry about fear for that moment. They may still have to worry about stress, but at least the fear part is gone. Uh, My party in my last game, they had to deal with it. But it's only protecting them from one thing now. Yeah. But I love the fact that this year, and it's non-magical, which means elves, fae, guess what? You're in the box with us humans now. Uh, you know, <laughs> and I think Good that point. I think that that's brilliant. Like when I was reading yeah. it, I was like, "Oh, that's fair." When I yeah. saw the 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 subtopic, I was like, "Ah, fear, whatever." So a bunch I, in my head, I'm thinking a bunch of people are going to be playing half elves, you know, and, and then all of a sudden I read it. I'm like, and it won't do squat form other than uh, a feat or, or an extra set type set of type of feats. You might as well play a, a variant human or 
do something else with your custom lineage. Like, picking Elve to avoid fear is no longer a thing in Ravenloft. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, you still get the benefit against fear effects and magical effects, like a creature that casts fear or uh, some magical thing that imposes fear. That you'll still get your, your, your benefits against. But when you walk into a village of a thousand slaughtered, sorry about your luck, kid. Yep. That's the real yep. deal. <laughs> yep. So the other thing in this chapter that I thought was really, really well done, uh, and again, because of a huge list of examples, just the phrase haunted, haunted traps, traps should stroke, should it, it should cause fear in your heart. Uh, Chills up your spine. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even just um, even just the picture right in the chapter of the the trap called the faceless malice, which is basically it's basically like this thing of silly putty that shoots at you um, and makes you think that your face is gone. (laughs) Like it's like, look, that's some straight up body horror right there, and nobody like that's you know like what was um there there was a uh, there's a movie I can uh, that I I can't think of right now. Now, but basically there's like this like sorceress that like someone is like flapping their gums at them and they're like oh you're not real you're not really and she just like looks at them and like moves her hand from their brow down to their chin and their face is gone like oh god like that's just like that's absolutely positively horrific when neo's mouth is sealed shut oh, in his yeah, interrogation like exactly. in the matrix oh mr anderson says elrond yep, yep. <laughs> that's not really elrond yeah that's that is a specific fear of mine when I watch that's that, creepy. that. That freaked me out because I'm like, dude, if he seals his nose, he can't breathe. He's going to sit there and suffocate. In his own skin. And ain't nothing he can do it. Add another body element of horror to it. How about the person who has to repeat that or the ghost that has that happen to them? And they end up like with using a knife to cut open their mouth so they can breathe again. Oh, and, and, no. But it, do- <laughs> but it doesn't work and they die of a heart attack. So now they're left to haunt the halls of some castle uh, doing that every night at the stroke of midnight. Oh. Why? Why do you do this? Oh, God. So Josh is somebody that doesn't want to play in a Ravenloft game. Yeah, so bo- no, so I love Ravenloft. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Body horror, though, yeah. for me, that's a thing. And, and so, so like when, when Ash and the Evil Dead has that eye pop out in his shoulder and then grows another hem out of the side see, of himself. See, that doesn't bother me as much. Because Bruce Campbell's cool as <laughs> So we digress. So horror traps. Needless to say, the horror traps section uh, is delightfully awful in all the right ways. These are fabulous examples and boy, so much seed on the vine for making your own. Like, Luanika, you and I were on a podcast a couple of weeks ago and that, and that episode should be coming out soon um, when we were on 19 Hits the Dragon talking about traps Boy, I wish this book had been out when we did that episode, so that, right, that we would could add go a whole ahead. New level. Oh, oh yeah. God, it, it it does. It adds a it adds a whole new level. It's a fantastic episode. We'll make sure and, and talk about everybody when that episode comes out, um, talking about traps. But man, these traps they take it to a whole other different level than we went. I mean, we went pretty deep. Don't get me wrong, but, but man, this this is a these are a whole different a whole different level. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, imagine an oil painting that asks you a riddle. Or a question, or just trying to have a conversation. But if you piss it off or get it wrong, now the creatures in it actually come out of it like 
and the ring. Oh, yeah. She's coming out of the television. Oh, that yeah, the, that that bit of the but, ring that but always it's, got it's, me. It's it's dri- oh. they're dripping oil paints yeah. as they come at you. Oh. The ring. I was gonna say, Jess, when you were talking about body horror issues, uh, the ring is the one that got me. Like I could not watch the Sonara video, uh, like at all. Like every single blip vert that was within that was like horrifying to me. And I agree with you. I made the joke about it because. I recognize my own personal fears and idiosyncrasies with horror. Uh, and I constantly try to push that limit within myself, even though I don't typically watch horror movies. Something about the visual is very rough for me, but I love reading elements of horror without reading an actual horror novel, which is why I love Ravenloft because I get the pieces I can tolerate and I can push that limit but I'm never forcing myself to go over that limit and I can always draw it back and help him, help him ride that line. Cause yeah. you don't want to go over it. Yeah. Cause I know what happens when I do uh, with all great reverence to Stephen King. I read Christine once I was foolish enough to read the first couple chapters or first bit of Cujo. Bad idea. Anybody Bad who knows idea, you got to think for dogs. Yeah. Well, that's why there, there's three separate incidents that led to that fear of dog. That was number two. I absolutely get, the need to to discuss these issues, clarify these issues, uh, find out where people's hard and soft lines. So for me, body horror is a soft line, but if you've got a member in your party that it's a hard line for you, be very careful because any lots of monsters can get into that. And I actually do a little bit of really descriptive talking about battle scenes and stuff like that. And this is a good call out for me as a storyteller to really check in with my players. Out of the descriptions I've been doing for the last several sessions, you know, are, are are you cool with those or are you just tolerating them? You know, those are questions that I, I, I probably should be having because, at, Glenn, you can attest, you've been at my table, so I can get pretty descriptive with my battles. No, and me too. And I've had players that I can see their reaction and I'll tone it back on my own just by watching their faces. That's one of the reasons I like cameras in virtual games. But I do have one thing I got to throw in here, which Josh, you're welcome to move back to a minute ago when I was talking about the painting trap. I can't take credit for that. That is a modified version of something straight out of the House of Lament later in the chapter. I just didn't want to give away the details of the actual trap for reasons we'll discuss later. Well, so we're going to get to that in just a second. Before we get to the module in chapter four, let's talk about survivors. And again, I thought... I love them. I thought that this was uh, this was one of the spots that I, I threw one of my sticky notes in and there was just one word on it and that's interesting they you talked about sidekicks earlier Lewanika. yeah survivors are just it's a new spin on the sidekick right this is straight out of the the sidekicks that they had in three and three five you know those those npcs that are more than just farmer john they're actually they're like a level above your your level zero characters right um and with a ravenloft twist on them absolutely amazing just absolutely fabulous See, I thought this is like the smartest thing they've done in forever. I thought sidekicks were interesting, but this is basically creating a small pre-gen character that you can use for anything from a quick side vision quest to a dream where they're somebody else in a different setting. I mean, there's so many possibilities for it, but my favorite is Ravenloft can be very, can easily be very one-shotty. So if you like to do a lot of one-shots, these are your pre-gen characters. You don't have to make full. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Level one characters or even level five characters. Set up a cool story around a group of survivors 
oh, and that's bring great. that to uh, the next Drinking and Dragons, which I may very well do. I'm not saying 100%, but because there's a lot of time between now and then. Well, I, I am totally on board with everything both of you are saying. This is not the part of the podcast where I disagree with my co-host. I am full in, like all in. I have pushed in all the chips. I've thrown my sunglasses in and the gold watch is off. I am in on the on Survivors. And here's my thought. You're right. They're very similar to sidekicks, but I think it goes a little bit further. What I loved in 3.5 about those NPC class characters, what I loved about those was if you want to build a character with backstory, build one of these first. Like I liked their ability so much that I liked playing an NPC class for a couple of levels. Like I loved the noble and then for, for two levels, like if we're playing a level four campaign, like we're starting at level four, I would take two levels of noble and then whatever class I wanted to be uh, and multi-class in that way. That's what I love. I love building that backstory with more than a single trait, a background trait. So I think you could, uh, what I want is for D&D Beyond to allow me to have a sidekick up to a given level who then becomes a player character class or a survivor who becomes a, a, a character class. Imagine a ring. That's exactly what I'm going to build. I mean, think yeah. of it from this perspective. Say you brought that that Drinking and Dragons one shot and the magic strikes like it did for your one shot that's still an ongoing campaign that I'm a part of. Yeah. You could start with these. They're level zero characters. Yeah. And if the if the magic strikes, then you help them build an overlay on top of that for wherever they choose to go at level one. I mean, it's... Yeah. I love it. And yeah. I like zero level characters for the starting scenes of campaigns too. There's just so much potential. I'm sorry to have jumped in. No, no, you're correct. Feel free. Cause this is how exciting we excited. We are about this stuff. Like the idea of using survivors in this horror scenario. And then like, there's like five of them and look only two players in that group. We come back from the one shot, but they really love this world, this domain of dread you built and you're building. They want to be player characters, but they don't want to lose what they started with. Man, start at level three, but the first three were this and they keep their survivor talents. So what they learned is still part of the character sheet. And while we, and I love the talents too. And, the talents are and great. And while Absolutely. we've got it on paper and we can do it on paper and yes, we can analog the crap out of this stuff. I would add this to that list of three things with D&D Beyond. Get this in the game and make it in a way that I can add on a player character class on top of this. Last words that I'm going to say about the Survivor is, uh, again, a fantastic quote about the nature of who the Survivors are. The Survivors are everyday people thrown into terrifying situations. Like, that's who we're talking about. And I think that, uh, again, just absolutely fabulous, diverse well-rounded, fun-to-play, chef's kiss, amazing. Yeah, survivors are where the Winchesters started out. Yep. This is Tika Whalen picking up a frying pan and joining the Heroes of the Lands. So the last bit of Chapter 4 is uh, the prefab module quest that uh, Glenn referenced earlier, the House of Lament. And I think that uh, we would not be the uh, the hosts that you have come to know and love if we just systematically and spoilerifically went through this quest detailing what happens here. No, no, no. Instead, 
we have another idea. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do a little thing we call pl- plussing this up. We're gonna fu- we're gonna do this a little bit different, and we're gonna let Glenn tell you how. No, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be cool. So we just started our first forays into the actual play venue with uh, the Candlekeep Mysteries that we've been doing, and it's been pretty well received. So we're not saying we're going to start a a full-on second group that runs all the time, but I'm going to run the House of Lament um, for our Patreons, uh, for anybody who wants to sign up, and my co-hosts if we need additional party members to to fill it in, and let you all discover it that way. And we'll put that out as an additional actual play uh, from start to finish. Now, the House of... Now, I say Lament. It's actually Lament. It is. But for those of you who are able to join me in this and the rest of your adventurers will be playing characters who find themselves lured through the mists in Ravenloft to a haunted mansion for a straight up ghost story that includes elements of horror from the ghost genre. And I I mean, it has seances. There's some pretty, uh, interesting characters and concepts that run through it. I'll I'll put out a, for those that wind up signing up for it, we'll put out a better full on description. Um, But it's, it's got some very interesting twists and turns. The ways they came up with to bring this haunted mansion to life down to the smallest, weird little details of haunted traps and things like that. I look forward to it. Um, But yeah, so soon we should be putting out a poll to our Patreons first. And then if we need any other players after that, we may send it out to other fans. Um, So keep an eye out for that. And again, if you're thinking about becoming a Patreon, if you've been riding the fence, uh, jump on in there and hey, sign up so that you can make sure you get in on the initial round of invitations to be in one of our actual play sessions. Absolutely. Yeah, because you can still get in on the Candlekeep Mysteries also. Uh, We are about to run session three. Session two is going to be airing shortly. Uh, And But we are pulling from our patrons for that. Uh, Right now it is a full patreon uh party so um you know if you are if you're not a patreon uh you got to get into uh to that list to be watching for the surveys to get in on on the candle keep actual play if that sounds like fun join up if you want to play in the house of lament uh with glenn who i think is going to be doing an excellent job running this i am super excited uh about that join in there uh you know and again we want to keep giving more benefits to our patrons going forward so this is just another way to give back to to you all so Absolutely. And uh, I can tell you as a veteran of as a veteran player at Glenn's tables in multiple types of games, not just D&D, but I I can confirm that being a player in in his games is amazing. Like if you've got the the idea that you want to dig deep and create a character and really role play from the character's perspective. Glenn is the type of storyteller that that will allow you the room to really create and act and play, like really play. I have, as a player, been the beneficiary of having so many amazing storytellers over the years, and we're going to bring at, uh, at least one of them to you in the near future. So look for notifications on that as well. I love the spaces that I've been able to create. I love creating character. I love role-playing character. I love perspective, and I love role-playing perspective. And 
it is tough to do that in a game where you're dealing with a we are now in the combat pillar DM versus a storyteller who's out to help you craft help you and the other players craft a collaborative story regardless of where it starts whether it starts from a book or a module we're going to dig in and 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 uh it's the direction we have been heading we did a lot of groundwork to build up to where we are today and where we're going we've talked about the theory we've talked about the craft we started building in the actionable intel we have recently started the actual play and we're now doing a little bit more because it's more than just sitting here talking about the game it's about playing the game it's about storytelling the game and uh i am so excited that we get to keep doing this and keep showing what we love about this hobby to our audience and everybody around if you can tell the excitement in my voice and how animated i get uh you know at some point in this process there's probably an outtake where josh is gonna be like lee lee Wanika, get back on your mic you're, you're you're moving around too much you're getting away from the sweet spot and i'm like way back here but that's because i love this stuff i absolutely love this stuff and i'm so excited that we're going to get to do it and actual plays are kind of our opportunity to put our gold where our gobbler hole is that's a great phrase where our gold where our gobbler hole is <laughs> Well, you know, it kind of was a play on money where our mouth that's, is. Where that's your mouth genius. Is, you know? That's absolutely that. Uh, we we might have a new catchphrase, everybody. All right, let's go ahead and, and wrap up here because we we are uh, we're, we are uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna once again try to pull us out of the weeds here. So we hope that you guys appreciated this episode. Storytellers, for the most part, chapters two and four are for you. If you are looking to build and run a game in Ravenloft. This is where you need to be. Let your players read chapter one. Let it you know, let them dive in there. Let them go ahead and, and figure out how to go ahead and craft characters in this. And then spend your time here crafting your domain, crafting your dreadlord, crafting your story, crafting your sessions and your game. Build it with your players in mind and with your players' interests at heart. Your game will be better for it. Absolutely. Seed your game with the elements from these chapters make sure you pay attention to chapter two and seed your sessions with the elements of chapter four you don't have to jam all of them into any one session and if you do that it will highlight that element and it will definitely make your game legendary. Absolutely. So just to recap, the other two big announcements that we've got for today. Uh, so for one, there will be a survey coming out to our listeners in the, in the next little bit here. Our next big project for you guys are going to be at least one domain of dread, if not several, depending on, on audience feedback on which direction uh, you all want us to go. Uh, we're looking forward to diving into that. We really hope that you, uh, you reply to that. So be watching the Facebook group Group and the Twitter channel to make sure that you get in on that uh, once it comes out um, and also become a Patreon subscriber so you can go ahead and find it there. Second major announcement is that we are doing uh, at least another one-shot or so actual play again starting with our with our patrons um glenn is going to be running the mission that's here in the ravenloft book the house of lament um glenn do you think it's going to be just like a one session or do you think it'd be it'll be more than one so it's pretty long. It's actually designed to take characters from levels one to three. So my suspicion is it's going to be probably two sessions, maybe three. 
Um, but since it is one continuous, literally continuous plot line, uh, we'll keep, even though it'll be multiple sessions, it'll stay the same cast of Patreons, whoever selected for this. Cool. Awesome. All right. So uh, there we go. We've got one more Ravenloft episode coming at you uh, when we dive heavily into the section detailing the Domains of Dread and then some of the, uh, if I may, really, really disgusting creatures. Awesome uh, the, creatures. These denizens, these awesome, disgusting creatures in oh. the bestiary at the, the, at, at the, the, best, the yeah. husk undead is my favorite. <laughs> yeah. At the, oh God. The, I like that the, one. The, yeah. <sighs> they're just, Oh, they're, they're just, they're all just disgusting. So, you know, um, but they will be, uh, we'll talk about those next week when we start talking about the domains and the denizens that you will find in Ravenloft. Uh, until then, uh, the mists await. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our side quest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.